All right, we're going we're gonna, to uh, transition into just a little mini teaching. Before we do, uh, let's just close our eyes and quiet our hearts. And just for 30 seconds, would you just ask the Holy Spirit to speak to you today and to us? Father, we ask that you would speak to us in the quietness of our hearts, that you would speak to us in our minds, our souls, our spirits, the fullness of who we are, God would receive from you, both individually, but then together, like we do this together, we're here together, and so we're receiving a shared word together, and so help us receive it as we close out this calendar year and look Look into the future. We ask this in your precious name, Jesus. Amen. So if you've been uh, tracking with us here at PFC, we've been going through the book of Romans for a number of months, and we did a little sidebar over, over Advent. It was still connected to Romans. Our key verse was uh, God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement. And each week of Advent, uh, we uh, looked at a different atonement theory. Today's sort of a bridge week. We're kind of getting back into Romans, but we're going to get fully back into our Romans uh, series next Sunday. I'll be preaching from uh, the second half of chapter four in Romans. The, this morning, what I want to talk about is the theme of hope, because that's what we're going to hit for the next couple of weeks in Romans. And, th- and that was kind of, as I was praying and thinking, as we as a staff and pastors were praying for PFC, we were thinking this word hope was really key ending the year and going in to next year. I've had this phrase rattling around my head for the last couple weeks that's, uh, would you read it with me? Let's read it together. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. Where does this come from? Uh, It comes from a hymn. What hymn does it come from? Great is thy faithfulness. That's right. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. We're going to close our service after communion singing great is thy faithfulness this morning, singing these words. But this phrase, like, it's just so rich. I I don't know that I had, like, chewed on it before. You know when you like grab a phrase and you like chew on it? You're like, oh, that is like, that's so rich. Strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow. I don't know about you, but I need that. Do you need that? Strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? Do you need that coming out of the chaos of the holidays? Do you need that going into what is bound to be a crazy 2024 with politics and all of that stuff? Do you need strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow? This is what, this is what Jesus is. He is strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. I've also been thinking about this quite a bit. This is from a Christian author and businessman, very successful businessman uh, named Max Dupree. And in his book, The Art of Leadership, he says, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. I find that to be profoundly true. The first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. In In other words, 
a, a leader's first re- responsibility is to say, this is what's true. Like, th- this is what's actually true. This is what's happening. This is what is true. He goes on to say, the last is to say thank you. So, hey, PFC, thank you. That was, that was kind of the slideshow, but thank you. Like, you guys are awesome. In between the two, the first and last, the leader must become a servant and a debtor. And I think we see this in the life of Christ. He is the one, he's the author and perfecter of our faith. He defines reality. He blesses us. He doesn't have to, but he blesses us. We're going to remember that through communion, the Eucharist, the blessing, where he takes his body and he blesses us. And in between, he, is, he becomes a servant to us um, and, and serves us, which is just wild. Thinking about this phrase, the first responsibility of a leader is to define reality. If you would grant me the grace for a moment this morning, if you would grant me the grace to try and define reality for us, at the end of this year, going into next year, I, I'd like to just define some things, and, and really a key thing. And man, it was such a downer in the first service when I did this, um, and I could just feel people squirming in their seats, but I got to do it because this is reality. Um, it's my guess that 2024 is going to be potentially worse than 2020 was politically. Like, I think it's going to be even more ugly. I think there's a chance of violence. I think that people are going to speak things to one another that ought not be said. I think that people are going to lose their minds over things that really aren't that big of a deal in the scheme of eternity and and history. And I think every one of us Because it's the air we breathe and the water we swim in, every one of us is going to be tempted to fight the battle on the enemy's terms and join in that chaos. That is, that's the reality. (laughs) That's the reality we're stepping into in, in 2024. But it's not the deepest reality. And it's not the deepest truth. Because God has something better for us. He has something richer for us. And so if I could just define the deeper reality than cable news, the deeper reality than hot click articles, the deeper reality than social media, the deeper reality than people telling you to be afraid or whatever, this is the deepest reality for those of us who actually believe that Jesus is who he says he is. Because Jesus is king, We have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow. So going into this craziness, because Jesus is king, already king, already victorious, already risen, we have what it takes to be a people of hope in the midst of fear and chaos and division. We also have what it takes to be a people of love and unity in the midst of chaos and division. And I want to look at one of my favorite stories just for a few minutes. And if you've been at PFC for a while, maybe you've heard me talk about this because I, like I like to bring it out and dust it off like about once or twice a year. This is just so good. This is from Luke chapter 7. It's towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry. This was the first sermon I ever preached as a pastor where I was officially a pastor. This was a sermon I preached back in Drexel Hill on Luke 7. And I, I want to look at this story. You know, how, you know how the story of the Good Samaritan, the word good is never used? But we just intuit, like, this is a story about goodness. This is a story about what it means to be good. 
The word hope is not going to be used in this story, but in the same way, this is a story about hope. Okay? You got it? Look at your neighbor and say, this is a story about hope. This is a story about hope. All right. Towards the beginning of Jesus' ministry, Luke 7, verse 11. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain. And his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. So would you picture it with me? He's going to this town. And who's with him? Disciples, who else? A large crowd. So are people watching? What's about to happen? All right. There's a whole crowd. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out. The only son of his mother, and she was a widow. Does it get much more hopeless than this? She's lost her husband. She's lost her only child. Does she have hope? She has no hope. You see, when we think about hope, and tell me if you think I'm right. Let's, let's interact a little bit. I think when people think about hope, and I think how I think about hope, usually, is if I can imagine a better future than the one I'm in right now, that's, that's I have hope. If I can picture a situation that's better than the one I'm in, I have hope. The problem with that is have you ever been in a time or a situation, or maybe you are right now, where you can't picture a, a better future? Because there's nothing but pain and death around you or suffering. This is where she's at. She can't picture a better future, so she has no hope. But that's okay. Also, there's a large crowd with her. When the Lord saw her, look at this phrase. His heart went out to her. How awesome is that? When the Lord sees you, do you know what happens when Jesus looks upon you in your pain and your suffering and your hurting? Do you know what happens to him? His heart leaps from his chest and goes out to grab you. How would you like to be grabbed by Jesus this morning? His heart in seeing you, whatever, whatever sin you're struggling with, whatever pain you're in, whatever suffering, his heart is leaping. It's reaching towards you. Now he says the worst possible thing you could say to someone. <laughs> Don't cry. All right, I know a number of you are in helping professions. Maybe you are a social worker or a therapist or a doctor or a nurse or a physician or, a, you know, a pastor, this is a violation of every best practice possible. <laughs> to not only interrupt a funeral you weren't invited to, but to walk up to the person who's suffering the most and say, don't cry. <laughs> like, this is shocking, right? And it would have shocked the people that were there. It's offensive in the moment. Jesus is the chief cornerstone. And if we're going to be in relationship with him, we will trip over him. When the Lord saw her, his heart, so he's not trying to be mean. His heart went out to her and he says, don't cry. Then he went up, touched the buyer. They were carrying him on. That's the dead man. And the bear stood still. You're just like, uh, is this okay? Like, what do we do? Jesus said, young man, I say to you, Get up. 
the dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave him back to his mind. When Jesus sees you, his heart is reaching for you. It's going out to you. And he's looking at the dead thing in your life. Dead relationship. Dead end job. Dead beat. Fill in the blank. His heart is going out to you. And he's speaking words of resurrection. Get up. I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gives him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. The news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. If hope is about a future that we can see, then we are pretty hopeless. Because our imagination is not grand enough to overcome. The best that we come up with is these sort of like pseudo-utopian dreams that always end in worse chaos. (laughs) when we bring them about with our own power. But if hope is actually that the God who holds the future sees you, even when you can't see that future, then we are a people of rich hope. Because we are like this woman. And no matter what the chaos is in our life, no matter what the chaos is going into this next year, we are a people who the Lord sees because we're in Christ. He sees you. He knows you. He loves you. His heart goes out to you. So when I think about this story, a few of the things that stand out to me are this, that Jesus sees us even when we don't see him. Jesus knows what we need even when we are unaware of his presence. You know, that woman didn't know he was there. She didn't know she needed him. She didn't know she was being watched by him, and that's exactly what she needed. She needed to be seen by the one who sees. She needed to be known by the one who knows, and so do we. And Jesus knows what we need. And even when we're unaware, even when we're crying out in the darkness of the night, God, where are you? Even in the valley of the shadow of death, even there, his heart goes out to his people. Jesus cares about our pain and suffering. He cared about this woman. She was a complete stranger. He cares so deeply. We will share in his resurrected glory. Uh, Tim Deering talked about this a couple weeks ago when he was uh, preaching on Christus Victor, that, you know, all the people that Jesus raised from the dead, there were a number of them, all the people that Jesus raised from the dead, guess what? They died again, right? Like this young man died again. Lazarus died again. Um, The young woman who Jesus healed, she died again. In the resurrection, in in the eternity, in the kingdom of God, we will share in his resurrection glory and there will be no more death. (laughs) That's hope. There will be no more death. Like it'll be like resurrected, final, done, boom, in. That's the story. Jesus is king. Would you say that with me? Jesus is king. Jesus is king. As I close this little mini-sermon, and then Shannon's going to come up and lead us in a time of meditation on being still and knowing God as God, I want to bring us back to Romans, where we'll be headed. With, with this teaching in mind about hope being not what we see, but hope being the one who sees us. 
Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we've been made right with God through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into his grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. What do we boast in? Hope. Hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings because we know that sufferings produce perseverance, perseverance, character, and character produces what? Hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And just a couple more verses, and let's read these verses together. Ready? You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. While we were dead on that fire. (laughs) While we were being carried out with no hope, he saw us and his heart went out to us and he laid down his life for us and he called us to be a people of hope because he sees us and he sees the future. So Jesus, we just invite you to redefine reality for us, that we are a people of hope and as as the people of PFC are going to be bombarded this year with messages of you should be afraid if this happens. You should be afraid if this person is in the White House. You should be afraid if this happens in Congress. You should be afraid if this doesn't get passed in Congress or this does. As our people, as we are bombarded with messages of fear, may this message that Jesus is king and we have strength for today and bright hope for tomorrow be our defining reality as a community. And we pray in Jesus' name. As we look to close out 2023 and enter into a new year, I invite you now into a few minutes of quiet contemplation. As DJ just shared, our hope in any circumstance and in any season of life can only be found in Jesus. But how can we find this hope if we cannot first find God or let ourselves be found by him? Think of the prophet Elijah on Mount Horeb. He did not experience the presence of God in the wind or the earthquake or the fire. Instead, the voice of God came to him in a whisper, in a still, small voice. And it is this same voice that David hears and records in Psalm 46 when he writes, Be still and know that I am God. And it is this same voice that speaks to us today. So for the next few minutes, we're going to walk through this verse very slowly and quietly. So I invite you now to close your eyes and draw near to his still small voice. Be still. Breathe. Be quiet. Be present in the here and now.
our first invitation is simply to be, to sit at his feet, to lean against his chest, to draw near. There is no chaos here. Let the swirling and noise and distraction settle as you focus your attention and affections entirely on Jesus. Jesus always speaking, always moving. still and know what is knowledge what is true wisdom when we experience something or someone when we taste and touch and see and hear we have a knowledge that is deeper than facts recited some knowledge even words cannot capture and this is the kind of knowing that God desires with you a full intimate knowing he wants you to know him and he wants to know you. Be still and know. Draw near to this knowledge, not a restless, distracting knowing used to criticize or condemn you, but a knowledge of peace. Not a prideful knowing used to prove your worth or defend yourself, but a knowing of surrender and trust. fearful knowing, but a knowledge of perfect love that casts out fear. Be still and know. Be still and know that I am God, God, creator, savior, redeemer, friend. In this still, quiet knowing, invite God to speak to you remind you who he is. Be still and know that He is here. Even if you move away, he will run after you. He does not need you, but he wants you. He does not require anything of you, but he invites you into everything. Be still and know.
May this knowledge of God continue to minister to you like a seed planted deeply in the soil of your heart as we come now to the table to receive the bread and the cup.